This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Feminists hate men and want women to be the dominant gender. Is that true or is that a myth? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Today I Learned. It's International Women's Day today. International Women's Day is a global day celebrating the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women across the globe. And in light of that, I thought it would be nice if we do an episode where we bust myths surrounding feminism. Joining me on the show today is Sivanandi Tanindran. She's the Executive Director of the Asian Pacific Resource and Research Centre for Women, also known as Arrow. Welcome back to the show, Siva. Thanks, Dashran. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Before you help me bust some myths, in a nutshell, what exactly is feminism? Feminism, you know, is like a range of like social political movements and ideologies, right? And um, the aim of feminism is to help define and establish, you know, uh, political, economic, personal and social equality of the sexes, right? right. And so this is a long struggle. Uh, and um, gender equality, you know, is supposed to be the state, you know, of equal ease of access to resources and opportunities regardless of gender. And this includes, you know, various fields, whether it's in economic participation and decision-making or the state of valuing, you know, different behaviors, aspirations and needs equally, right? right. So uh, gender equality, you know, is uh, loosely interpreted as, you know, that women and men, girls and boys enjoy the same rights, same resources, opportunities and protections. It does not require that girls and boys or men and women are the same or be treated exactly alike. And of course, I mean, if we talk about feminism, feminism has evolved, you know, across the years, you know, according to the need of the day. So in the early 19th century, you had the first wave or liberal feminism that sought, you know, political and legal equality. And, you know, many people are familiar to uh, in this uh, with this movement uh, through the suffrage movement. And then, of course, at the same time, there was also the labor-based uh, women's movements over that time. Uh, and these were usually you know, understood as a socialist and Marxist feminism, which is based on the class struggle theory. And uh, both of these also kind of um, uh, contrasted with what was known as the second wave feminism or radical wing, or radical feminism, which was uh, calling for a reordering of society, you know, to eliminate male supremacy. So these are the first wave and the second wave are really quite well known. Right. Uh, but in the late 20th century, we have some newer forms of feminism, right? So we have um, uh, some forms of feminisms, these earlier feminisms uh, that have been criticized for only taking into account, you know, a white perspective or a middle class, college educated, you know, heterosexual or cisgender perspectives. And um, these criticisms have, you know, led to uh, creation of, you know, intersectional feminism or post-colonial uh, feminism or black feminism. So um, these are some of those critical aspects of uh, feminism. And I also wanted to take the opportunity to touch on two key feminist movements, which are very little talked about today. Okay. You know, one is this year's uh, theme for the International Women's Day and the Commission on Status of uh, Women is on climate change, right? Mm -hmm. So the feminist movement was part and parcel of the environmental justice movement from the inception. And uh, eco-feminists who saw the systems of patriarchy and capitalism unleashed upon our environment and the resulting damage and what was their 
how do I say, their theory for change, basically, right? The second, um, as we earlier chatted before the show, you know, we sit in the shadow of a possible world war. Right. The feminist, you know, anti-war and peace movements, you know, who have always advocated not only against war, invasion and occupation, you know, whether it is Ukraine or Palestine, but also against militarization and the military prison industrial complex. So all of these are different aspects, you know, of uh, feminism that, um, you know, kind of uh, we, we navigate in today's world. So now let's look at some arguments that people bring up um, or some myths, um, or some ideas that people have about feminism. And you can give me your thoughts on it, Siva. Um, the first one is, you know, feminists um, hate men and want women to be the dominant gender. This is something I've started to see a lot, especially on social media, where a lot of people, men mostly, um, seem to think that feminists are trying to usurp men or that feminists hate men altogether. Is, how true is this? Well, this is a often cited myth, as you say, on social media, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so because uh, women, uh, or fe- the female sex, you know, has been subjugated for so long that, you know, the subjugation is seen as the norm, right? So uh, hence a woman who is exercising uh, their rights or perceiving themselves and behaving as equals are seen as dominant because right. that's the dominant behavior. So on the overall, of course, uplifting women to become equals means, you know, giving them space and giving them voice and creating access, right? So we can fully participate and bring our needs and voices to the table. And all of this is about, you know, occupying space in society, which is, again, perceived as domination. Because, you know, if I move forward and put up my hand and say, here, I have an opinion, I want to offer that, you know, uh, it's seen as being a dominant or a bossy woman or an aggressive woman. But in reality, it is just about taking the space that uh, is actually rightfully ours to start off with. Another argument I've also heard is that feminists are so against traditional gender role to such a degree um, that they are anti-women, um, being homemakers, anti-women, cooking for their families, uh, etc., um, that they are also against marriage. Is, is feminism against um, traditional gender roles to that degree? Yeah, well, this is a very interesting question, right? So um, marriage is seen and, um, well, it still is, you know, a patriarchal institution in many ways, right. you know, and it's only very recent in uh, our history, you know, and just about maybe a couple of decades back that women were still considered the property of our fathers and our husbands. You know, uh, we could not own property of our own or we could not legally represent ourselves, right? We can't sign a contract, you know. Um, And this was actually, you know, captured within the legal framework in like coverture laws, right? So this is one of those interesting things where, you know, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right, yeah? Mm -hmm. Uh, And these gender roles, uh, which are, um, you know, uh, fundamentally underpinning the marriage institution, right? Where you saw all of these um, uh, roles, uh, where men occupy the public sphere and women occupy the private sphere. The labor divisions occurred along these lines. And, you know, until today, you know, women's work, you know, it is underpaid, it is regarded as care work, you know. Um, it's uh, in the earlier uh, decades was called reproductive work, whereas men did the productive work. And it is seen as something that is minimal, you know, and yet, you know, if we really look at the thing is the whole world operates on women performing this 
free care work. Yet, you know, women are not compensated either through social protection mechanisms or remunerated for this work. So I believe it was like Oxfam a couple of years ago estimated that women do $10.8 trillion worth of care work a year, right? So um, when we say like, you know, against marriage, against traditional gender roles, we have to, you know, interrogate, you know, the institution of marriage and the institution of uh, family right. and to see whether um, they accommodate, you know, uh, women in and girls, you know, in all our full um, uh, capacity, as well as cater for the full potential. It's only when like the economies industrialized and post World War Two that, you know, in the West, you know, when women started going out of homes to work because the governments had to have women working in the factories. Right. right. Because the men were at war. You know, then legal frameworks were reformed to kind of bestow equal status on women. So these two, you know, the equality within the family and equal share in the care burden are critical considerations in any society. So this requires us to interrogate and to shatter the conceptions of what women's work is and what men's work is. And um, I don't know whether you've read this uh, book, Who Cooked Adam Smith's Dinner? This is a very interesting uh, book. Adam Smith, as you know, you know, uh, is the one who is the father of economics, right? Mm -hmm. And he talked about invisible handed economics. It's about how self-interest, you know, men, (laughs) the economic (laughs) man, you know, acting in his self-interest creates this public good, right? But actually, who took care of Adam Smith? Adam Smith never married. Okay, so uh, it was his mom. and uh, And he lived with his mother as long as she lived. You know, right. uh, and um, she's the one who was like, you know, doing all of the work, ironing his shirts, cooking his dinner, taking care of him so that Adam Smith could get to the, how do I say, the important work of writing, you know, the economic tomes, which would like, you know, hold up society <laughs> right. and, uh, and, you know, build the economic system. But, you know, so the real invisible hand is that of women's labor that underpins every single activity in society is what, um, you know, the author posits. Now, what is a feminist stance on a woman wanting to, let's say, take care of kids, to be homemakers, to cook for the family and things like that? I think, uh, firstly, you know, feminists um, actually allow for women uh, to have choice, right? Right. So, you know, whether you mm-hmm. choose to be a professional, whether you want choose to be a, a homemaker, then it is entirely up to the individual to choose, you know, that path in life. However, you know, we need to look at what is it that actually is at work when right. women are forced to choose a homemaking rule? We don't uh, actually go and interrogate those, right? Mm-hmm. So we know very much um, uh, from what uh, evidence and literature shows us, right? The studies that have been done say that many women give up the opportunity to work because they are forced to do this care work at home, right? right. And they're forced to do this care work at home because policies have not been reformed or governments don't uh, provide access to childcare services, right? So if you uh, belonged uh, in, a, in a marriage or in a family where, you know, you're, you made a, a smaller income and uh, the childcare costs, you know, were larger, you know, than your income, then many women would just give up that job in order to like take care of kids, right? So what is posited as choice? I mean, if there is no choice, then we can't say that the woman chose that path. So feminism asks us to like kind mm-hmm. of interrogate, interrogate, you know, the systems, the policies and the institutions that kind of drive us into particular ways of being. 
you know right. so and of course like you know of course women enjoy cooking for their family but at the same time it's not only women men mm-hmm. also enjoy cooking for their family That's right. and you know i mean in my uh, house when i was growing up my father was a great cook you know and he loved to cook and he was a way better cook than my mom so my mom uh, was one of those uh, women who uh, would uh, proudly proclaim uh, that you know when she was born it was written on her forehead thou shall not cook thou shall not clean <laughs> so she- she never cooked, you know, and my father cooked, you know, so it's like uh, whoever does what best, right, can do it, is free to do it, right, and it's not a gender-defined role in the household, and, you know, and the way you express yourself, it is not only women who have to express themselves through these chores of care work, men also can express themselves through care work to their family. On the show with me today is Sivanandita Nindran. She's the Executive Director at the Asian Pacific Resource and Research Centre for Women. After the break, I ask her, is feminism anti-religion? We'll be back with more on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Sivanandita Nindran, Executive Director of the Asian Pacific Resource and Research Centre for Women. And in conjunction with International Women's Day 2022, Siva is helping me bust some myths surrounding feminism. So, Siva, this next one I think is something that is very specific to Malaysia or perhaps just this this region. And and that is feminism is a Western ideology, aka Budaya Bharat. This argument that feminism was born in the West and contains Western values um, that are not suitable to Asian culture or certain religious culture and practices and values that we have um, over on this side of the world. And hence, because of those things, um, it, it should not be brought here, nor should it play a role here. What are your thoughts? I'm glad you asked this question because I also, you know, thought uh, a great deal about this question, right? right? And um, I think that firstly, feminism, you know, calls us to examine and look at all of the fetters that bind us, right? And we know for sure that one of these fetters that bound us historically has been that of colonialism, Right. right. And feminisms, uh, feminists have been anti-colonial as well, you know, and feminists have been at the forefront of liberation movements across different countries, you know, because colonialism and neocolonialisms are forms of uh, imperialism which are based on race and patriarchy. Right. Mm-hmm. So hence, you know, those who say feminists are westernized or, you know, is a Western ideology uh, are completely forgetting this aspect of our history, right? And it is because they haven't looked at local leaders, right? And, you know, if you go back into, I think, some of uh, uh, even the most recent articles, you will actually find that, you know, radical Malay Muslim women who, after World War II, you know, join the CPM in order to fight for freedom from the British, right? right? Their stories, their histories, you know, were silenced politically. And because of that, you know, the larger population has forgotten that, you know, that feminists were anti-colonial. And we can actually not only see this in Malaysia, so you can see the freedom struggle, you know, whether it was Malaysia, whether it was in Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Indonesia, the Philippines, you know, the feminists were there on the front lines, you know. So um, this coming back to this idea of like, you know, whether it is a Western ideology or not, um, you know, is to actually discount the fact that uh, many feminists are and still continue to be anti-colonial in many ways. And feminism has achieved 
quite a bit when we look at, you know, even when we zoom in in, let's say, Malaysia, right? Because when, whether we look at, let's say, the Domestic Violence Act, which was enacted in the 90s, that came as a result of um, women's rights groups coming together, um, protesting, um, organizing, mobilizing. Um, the sexual harassment bill has been in the works for, for two decades. Women's rights groups have been pushing hard for that. Look at so many things, whether it's even like something as simple as the maternity leave, all of this have come because of um, feminist movements, right? Of course. But uh, also we kind of, uh, how do I say, we benefited, right, mm-hmm. uh, from um, whatever took place in the West. So, like, for example, what we have um, as part of a cons- constitution or what we have as a legal framework doesn't have those uh, coverture laws. You right. know what I mean? Uh, so we, so there were some rights that were already guaranteed in our legal framework because it's like, let's say, relatively new and based on the reformed legal framework of the UK, correct? So uh, that's one aspect of uh, where the benefits of feminism are already reflected. The second you say, you know, is absolutely right, not only in Malaysia, but across the world, you know, uh, bringing domestic violence, right? That's something that was uh, an issue rooted, you know, uh, so much in the privacy of the home, which, uh, you know, which was not uh, the purview you know, of uh, public uh, policy making or um, how do I say public decision making, you know, and bringing that uh, issue from that private sphere into the public sphere. That has basically been, you know, the big win of uh, the feminist movement in the past. Uh, But also, you know, very small things that you may consider, like, you know, whether it is um, small things like uh, equal pay. So one of the things that uh, my mother, when she first started working and she was a university graduate, uh, it appalled her, you know, that uh, she was paid less than a man. Right. So uh, the the National uh, Union of Teachers, you know, uh, actually was one of those key organizations that fought for equal pay in, uh, in a profession which is largely feminized. So all of these are wins that come perhaps not only from the feminist movement, or but really from the feminist perspective or the feminist worldview. This next argument I find fascinating, I guess, if perhaps that's a word that we can use. And, and that is this idea that feminists claim that women and men are, and I quote, the same, which according to them um, doesn't make sense. And they say that, you know, if men and women are the same, um, surely, you, you know, they can just play in the same sports category instead of having two separate categories. You know, why don't, um, you know, Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor have a UFC match together and, and you know, beat each other up? I mean, they are the same. Um, you know, this is the, this is the argument um, that people bring. How do you respond to arguments like these? Yeah, I think that uh, when we talk about men and women are equal, we mean like, you know, equality as human beings, right? So uh, we would say, just like, for example, um, if we use the same analogy of sports, you know, you have uh, in weightlifting, right, heavyweight and lightweight, right? Right. So you won't ask a lightweight person to like go and lift the heavyweights. I mean, do you know what I mean? You fall into certain categories, right? Women are a category, right? And because of that long subjugation or the history of subjugation, we need to, in order to be equal, we need to be treated with um, uh, extra care. So this is where, like, I think that many of us are familiar with that equality and that equity thing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where you have this uh, picture, you know, uh, of how, like, equality means, like, you know, a short person and a tall person, you know, stand on the same thing and they can't see the same 
vision or they can't see the same view. Whereas equity means that, you know, you're able to like kind of have differ, differing measures, right? Mm-hmm. So that everyone can have that same uh, view. Right. It means that marginalized groups need additional attention or additional interventions or additional uh, measures, you know, whether these are quotas, whether these are extra uh, programs, right, Mm -hmm. Um, that are necessary, then, you know, those are those measures that ensure equal access. I think that uh, one of those things like, you know, and which is also in public debate now, you know, is access to, for example, sanitary products for girls. So, you know, uh, let's just say if we have a policy that uh, allows uh, for girls in schools to access, let's say, uh, sanitary napkins and feminine hygiene products, does it mean that they are actually getting an additional allocation from the government or they're being treated specially because they're given these products? Right. You know, when in reality, the reason they are given these products is so that those girls who do experience uh, menstruation at particular points uh, of the week or the month, you know, um, they can actually uh, join classes easily. Right. Mm -hmm. So to have that equal access, you need to have special treatment. What you're essentially saying is that feminism doesn't say that um, let's say when we look at sports, that males and, and females are exactly the same beings. Like, um, you know, it literally, biologically, they, they function differently. Um, they have different body types and so on and so forth. And so they, needed, they need to be put in different categories to, to maintain that competitiveness. Um, like whether we look at, you know, uh, people being put in lightweight, heavyweight, heavyweight categories or men and women categories because that boils down to uh, biological abilities. But feminism is about equality. So we are talking about um, equal access to opportunity, um, equity, um, treated with respect um, across the board, whether you're a, you're a male or female, a man, woman, whatever it may be, um, you're, you're treated with the same amount of respect, um, regardless of your gender, regardless of your sex, right? Exactly. And and definitely, I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, some feminists look at, you know, factors of biology, some uh, feminists look at um, factors of uh, gender, right. uh, which includes like social treatment or, you know, and marginalization and vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. So this is why uh, um, in order to create uh, equality, equity and justice, you know, for women, there needs to be special uh, consideration for women. Right. Now, another thing I've heard is only women can be feminists. Um, is feminism an, an exclusive club, Siva? Uh, definitely not, Dashran. <laughs> uh, you can join the club anytime you like. <laughs> feminism is open to everybody. <laughs> uh, although, of course, you know, this is there's like a high uh, ideological uh, support, right? right? I mean, you have to believe in so many things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to be anti-colonial, anti-war, you know, you have to be equal. Uh, you know, so you see, there's so many uh, criteria. Right. Uh, so, of course, uh, although feminist advocacy has mainly been focused on women's rights, you know, uh, definitely, you know, feminists argue for the inclusion of of uh, men's liberation within uh, uh, feminism itself, right? Because uh, not only women are harmed by these traditional gender roles, men are also harmed by these traditional gender roles, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and you look at, uh, you know, some of those more recent things, you know, masculinities or studies in masculinities and toxic masculinities, which actually kind of emphasize that, you know, dangerous, risk-taking, violent uh, 
um, how do I say, behaviors, you know, or aggression that is supposed to be adopted by, you know, boys in order to become men, right, in society. So that also does harm to men, you know. So uh, men too, you know, benefit a great deal from feminist uh, theory. Right. What about religion? People say feminism is in direct contradiction with religion. Um, feminism um, doesn't allow for religion. Um, feminism is anti-religion. Um, is this true? So uh, the first one is, of course, that, you know, uh, in my experience and, you know, and the organization that I work for, um, definitely, you know, there are feminists who work within the framework of religion and advocate for equality within religion itself. And we know of so many stellar organizations doing it, for example, you know, Musawa and Sisters in Islam in Malaysia, mm -hmm. right? Uh but there are also feminists who do say that, you know, religion, the laws and institutions of religion are inherently patriarchal and cannot be changed. Right. right. So the beauty of feminism is that, you know, it affords us the space, you know, and the right to look at equality from so many different aspects, you know, and allows feminists to kind of, you know, uh, derive a theory, you know, and derive a theory of change as well. Right. And to hold all of these multiple views and to flourish, you know, so it may be messy, but, you know, it is beautiful, you know, in my opinion. Right. But I think where feminism is perceived as anti-religion is because is when that you know, religion is used as basis for discrimination or unequal treatment, right? And mm -hmm. a denial of another person's rights. Yeah, and um, this is where, I guess, the clash between, you know, feminists and religion, often uh, religious um, persons or religious organizations uh, come about. Before we wrap this conversation up, Siva, I just want to get your thoughts on one last argument that we see a lot. And the argument, argument goes... Um, women have already achieved equality, hence there is no use for feminism. I mean, y'all can vote and go to work. So what else do y'all want? So this is why, like, I think, you know, I think you've nicely circled back to the beginning, <laughs> you know, uh, and in the late 20th century, I mean, what we saw is the birth of intersectional feminism, right? right. So we do know that feminism definitely has uh, advantaged some women, but not necessarily all women, you know, and the women who are still, you know, continues to be on the margins are those who are, you know, uh, sidelined due to basis of, you know, either or they belong to a minority group, whether it's a racial minority or a religious minority, um, or they be, may belong to an indigenous uh, community, uh, they may be poor, they may be lesser educated. So basically, you know, uh, the concept of equality uh, needs to be kind of interrogated and furthered uh, beyond the achievement of numbers, right? So uh, how do is it that, you know, uh, women from the margins can come to the center, you know, so, uh, and what is the uh, possibility for those who are for these marginalized groups of women to occupy similar you know, uh, spaces, have equal voice at the table to privileged women, you know. So that's where, you know, the new feminism takes us. On that note, Siva, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thanks so much, Darshan. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And happy International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day to you too. That was Sivanandi Tanindran. She's the Executive Director at the Asian Pacific Resource and Research Centre for Women, also known as Arrow. And she was helping me bust some myths surrounding feminism. So if you missed any part of the conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.